On this episode, we talk about Dogecoin, the economy, and Ben and I ride 100 kilometers for Chio. Welcome to Think at Heart. Let's go. Let's go is right. 100 kilometers last weekend for Chio. Before we get into that, I'm Scott Goodfellow. This is Ben Hart, Hart Investment Group. Welcome to Think at Heart. I think this is episode 16, give or take the interviews. I've lost count where we're at, where we're at. Yeah, me too. But I was so excited to get into the Chio ride. Yeah. It wasn't uneventful. No, of course not. 100K. So let's let's give a little backstory here. So we came over to National Bank about, uh, what was it, eight months ago? Six, less than six now. I just look. Is it less than six? Six months. Six months. Less than six seems, now, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like three years. Anyway, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. We'll save that phone for episode 20. Anyway, so Chio, this the CN ride for Chio is uh, a big one for National Bank. So, you know, we set a modest goal, being our first time doing it, of $1,000 to raise. And we said, so because it's like a virtual thing, you just kind of ride your own. Before, it used to be like you ride this like with thousands of people and then like 15K, which was sponsored by National Bank. And I think most of them did that. But then there's like 60 and 75 and 100, whatever. Right? Everybody gets it. So we decided, I think I just signed us up for it. I just said, hey, we're going to ride 100K. And for those of you who don't know, Ben and I have both done Ironmans in our past. Ben looks like he's done one more recently, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 100K is no joke on a bike for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a long way, right? It's a long way. Number two, it's real tough on the butt. It's tough on the butt. If you haven't been on your bike for a long time, you know, a good four and a half, five hours on a bike when you haven't been on it in a while, that's rough. Anyway, we did it. We woke up at 6 a.m. and headed out from my place. We got a great video on our, which will be coming out on our YouTube channel probably by the time this is released. Some little snippets. So what's some of the highlights for you, Ben, of that ride on Saturday morning? Before we go to that part, I did have some some feedback and comments. Jose wanted to know why you didn't use the racing wheels. Was it because you're afraid of being too fast? Oh. Was it one of his questions? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was a little afraid of being too fast. That was a great question. I don't know why I didn't. It was we were riding more for comfort than speed. Let's just put it that way. It's true. Or the highlights. I remember what it feels like to hurt, because I haven't I haven't done anything distance wise in a while. And my butt did hurt the next day for sure. And of course, like as you know, I love cliff bars, so got to eat a bunch of cliff bars for breakfast. It was a great start to my day. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. The other thing is I like uh, like energy, energy drinks and energy food. So got to have a couple of uh, five-hour energies, get me going. I didn't sleep for the rest of the day, but it was I felt great. It was, like a, it was like a nice treat for you to be out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a nice day. It was a nice day, and most of it was great. You know, I wasn't sure where my fitness level was at. I still ride and run here and there like you know half an hour an hour on the bike maybe two at the most but four to five hours not really in that shape anymore so by kilometer 85 i was hurting from about 85 to 95 and then it got 
started to get a bit, bit, bit better. But uh, yeah, and I, I think I had my uh, my downsies more in the middle of the race, middle of the ride. I wasn't feeling quite as good, but yeah, they go uh, they go up and down for sure. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, fantastic. One last thing about that: our goal. I mentioned we our goal was a thousand dollars to raise, and we raised thirty six hundred, which is amazing because we kind of did it in a short time frame and hey our clients and our friends and family stepped up for us so i think uh next year we're gonna have to top it maybe we'll do 200k next time hey 200k we've both done that distance we've both ridden that distance in the past i couldn't just show up for that one though like i did this one we have to train for that i think but uh and what's and really what's the point but anyway if uh, 200 is an option, I'm uh, I'm interested. Let's do this. <laughs> oh my god, we're not. Well, I'm not committing to that at this stage. <laughs> as as both our wives said to us, like, is everybody doing 100k? And no, we're the only ones doing it. Yeah. Oh Makes yeah, sense. I should have said that too. Is like <laughs> you're encouraged to kind of do a distance, pick a distance, and do it over a period of time, like a month. Instead, we're like, nope, we're just going to do it all in one day. <laughs> Which is really more, you know, towards our personalities as well. We just, we're all all in guys. We just like all in. Great. So busy times in the market, weird times in the market and the world, really. I mean, we're still, I don't even want to talk about the pandemic anymore. I'm just upset with it. Okay. If pandemic is a human, I would step into the ring with it and we'd go toe to toe. I think it has a better record than me. I think my lifetime fight record is like probably something like nine and two. And uh, the two were not pretty. Let me say that. So, yeah, it's a weird time for sure. And markets getting a little weird. Economy getting a little weird. Why don't you kick us off with with that? Yeah, well, I think that's uh, probably a good good way to look at it. We've had, I think everyone was surprised when the markets did well as the economy was going in the tank last year. And now we're starting to come and see the other side of that where things have started to kind of looks like maybe fizzle out a little bit where rates started to move up. Some companies continue to do well and others don't. It's been a strange market. We've had some companies obviously have kind of big surprises. You know, some of the names that I mentioned, like Sally Beauty was one we've 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 owned and talked about. I mean, this is a boring old company that uh, just went up 50% in the last four months. And so there's companies like that doing that where there's others like the like the the Shopify's and the Amazons of the world that have gone kind of sideways to down and some of the high growth names have really started to to suffer. Some of the COVID like names like Zoom and, and things like that, DocuSign, you know, they've been a little bit challenged now. And so I think we're we're starting to look at really the early phases of uh, the economy starting to open up again. I've been attending uh, Malden's conference this week and so I listened to David Rosenberg this week and you know I I love his reporting people I think generally look at him as a perma bear but you know I think you just gotta listen to what he says and you know he's he's forecasting that uh, everyone thinks that we're gonna have this huge opening and everything's going to boom coming out of that but he pointed to a couple interesting statistics and one of them was yeah, this uh, the service portion of the economy in the U.S. is something like two percent of GDP. 
So if we explode and we got a double on that, you know, you're going to see a little bit of growth, but you're not going to see anything explosive like I think people are expecting. And so there's there's been this kind of overwhelming fear that we're entering hyperinflation. I don't know about you, but every article you read about interest rates and inflation, everyone thinks we're going into a big inflationary cycle. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody keeps saying, you know, so if that's the case, let's say, let's say everybody's right. Uh, If that's the case, when, when should we anticipate to see that happen, right? Like everybody says, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, but it's not, right? Like it it hasn't yet. Is that like one of those things everybody says that it's coming and it's two years from now or it's six months? What kind of time frame are we looking at? Yeah, so I guess I'd have to look at the setup of how do we get hyperinflation? Well, we'd need to have everything moving up. We've had hyperinflation for the last six weeks. The likelihood that this is sustainable, in my view, is zero. But let's just say if we played it out and we said inflation started to run away, well, you'd have to see tight supply forever. So you'd have to assume that the manufacturing plants don't grow. You'd have to assume that the semiconductors don't get up to speed. You know, there's lots of cars not on the lot because they're waiting for semiconductors to go in. So you'd have to assume, I think, that the world kind of grinds to a halt. And, you know, if you expect we never get back to where we were from a productivity perspective 12 months ago, then there is a possibility that we have hyperinflation. I think it's extremely low that we do. And I think it's going to be in pockets. You probably continue to get inflation in in asset prices, but one of the things that most people don't talk about is wage inflation. And so we actually have wage deflation in lots of parts of the economy. And so, you know, if you expect technology to still lead, which I think you and I both do, technology is inherently deflationary. Yeah. I mean, it feels like we're coming out of this. You know what I mean? I keep using the word feels like because that's all it really is. Right. But speaking, going back to productivity, and that's kind of my point is we were talking earlier today about now companies talking about mandating people going back to work. Right. So who was it? Google, I think you said. Salesforce. Salesforce saying that you could stay on, but you take a pay cut. Was that what you saw? Yeah. So that's one thing they're considering doing. Google as well has said you're going back to work September 1st. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. There's a low likelihood that you see them pay people more. (laughs) As long as entitlements are here where the government's paying you to stay home, you know, they're not going to make more money. They're going to make what the government's giving them, but you're not going to see like wages dramatically increase unless there's something I don't see. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that companies be making their staff come back. I mean, certain industries obviously would need to, but if there's not a real requirement for them physically to be there, it's far less expensive to have people work from home. So it'd be better for the bottom line, but obviously they see something in the productivity of the work at home over the last year. And that's pointed to like, no, we want everybody back in the office. Cause I've seen that. I've heard that from a few people now, a few financial firms who in, in New York city are back starting where we're back for starting uh, May 1st as well. So yeah, but I'd be curious on the productivity statistics. I mean, I know we've talked about this, you know, are people actually less productive? Like, is it the productivity thing that they're concerned about? Or are they concerned about something else? Because I don't know, I don't see maybe maybe I'm missing it. But I'd, I'd love to see the statistics, but I doubt productivity's down. 
I don't know what other reason that you'd have that you'd want, you know, a big office and have all that rent and all that overhead and deal with staff in there every day. Like, that's just a headache. There's got to be some sort of reason. Because I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, but I work more now because you don't have the commute. You don't have to get up and get ready. Like, great, you come down and get your coffee or whatever and get to work and hang out with the family a little bit after work and then work again because it's all right here now, right? So, I mean, look at us. We're it's almost nine o'clock, and we're doing a podcast on a Thursday night. All right, like that's just that's just what it is. If we were at the office every day, maybe our schedule would be different. I still think it's an old thinking, an old style of thinking model, control and command. If you're not here, you're not working, and I think that's a big driver of it. I really think that the companies that are going to win are the ones that don't do that. The ones that want that engagement, uh, support and trust and believe in what their teams are doing and and they'll, they'll find a way. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I do think it's like if you're not here, you're not working. To me, like if you're not there, it, it would help because then you could just base people's performance off their performance and not, you know, the bias of their personalities. Right. Because you do you get some people that are more likable. So you can give them more of a break or whatnot. You know, I've been there. I had 40 employees, you know, before I did this and it was, uh, it's not easy. That's for sure. It's not easy to manage all those personalities, especially when they're in the office, right? What would their comp breakdown been of hard versus soft? What would the, you have, you assess them on? Obviously differ from marketing to sales to administrative. Would every one of those employees have a soft skill bonus structure or pay structure? Outside of the salespeople, there wouldn't really be, uh, you know, based on performance, right? Like, obviously, at the end of the year, they would come in for that kind of performance. And yeah, mostly just soft skills. I think that was your question, right? It's just like, oh, you know, like, are you getting your work done? You know, what do people like here in the office? Do you fit in well with the team? Like, when you have a marketing company, that's, there's a lot of those creatives types. And that's, you know, that's how they work for sure. What rabbit hole do you go? Oh, the economy. The economy was supposed to be third on the list. Third, the economy was supposed to be third on the list. And we just, we're just going down rabbit holes today. I don't know what's going on. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. Speaking of weird times, the news of the day, or sorry, of the week, Dogecoin is the big mover. Dogecoin now has, how much was it up? You had the numbers? 12,252%. 12,252%. I had some money in that this week, so I'm retiring. I'd like to put put my notice in right now, Ben. I'm retiring because I had some money in it. I did have a little bit in it just because I do. But it's fun to watch, you know, like that type of thing. But it's super speculative, obviously. But here's one of the things I, I thought was very interesting is that the market cap is now 70, almost $73 billion, so which is bigger than Coinbase, right? So Dogecoin's market cap is, is far exceeds Coinbase. So what do you think? What's the deal with the big grip on Doge? It's very bubbly. It's very internet 2.0. Like, you know, the amount of companies that I saw come out in the 99, 2000, was a lot like this, right? The dot coms come out and it's the next best thing. 
And Doge, I think, is really how it's been portrayed. It's the next best thing. It's marketing-based, right? So you got Elon talking about it. You got some other people talking about it. And as we talked about, I think, on one of our podcasts, people that generally own this kind of asset class, really, this is the the only thing they own is, is crypto. And so they would be spreading around and and gambling on it. Ultimately, I think there's a high probability it goes to zero. But before it goes to zero, it might go to $1.50. There's a lot of hype and marketing around it. It's not Bitcoin. It's not Ethereum, uh, which are completely different beasts. It's built, as you know, it's built by uh, two guys that started it as a joke, trying to launch an altcoin because they thought it'd be fun and interesting, and it got traction. And so, you know, some of the things that people like about it is there's an infinite amount, so you can mine it, you can go find it, like people can generate it cheaply and easily now versus Bitcoin where you can't do that. So there's still some appeal to it, but it's a speculative gamble at this point. People get bored of it. There's going to be, I mean, there's an infinite supply, like you said, so there'll just be people just, there'll be no value to it anymore, I think. And then, you know, you turn around and I saw today that the, you know, there's companies out there that are now you can, you can buy purchase goods with it right like i think i was mentioning though the oakland athletic baseball team you can buy uh tickets with it it was just one of the ones that i saw and who was a big bull on it well obviously elon musk is a big bull on it so you may see it rip again because he's going to be on snl and they've got a skit apparently all around dogecoin that's kind of leaked out so i think that's coming up in the next couple weeks so you might see another rip there mark cuban is behind it again the other thing I saw that I noticed too is that they haven't updated the code on it in like six years. So that's becoming outdated. So I don't know how sustainable that is or if it'll become hackable or whatnot. Although it's, I guess it's on the blockchain. So that's, but anyway, so yeah, very interesting. But anytime something rips 12,000% worth a note on the thing at Heart Hot Podcast, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, hey, maybe we'll just start doing a, a show on penny stocks, right? Hey, this one, you know, this one will rip a hundred thousand percent. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got I got plenty of those I can talk about too, but uh, we'll, we'll save those for another day. I did read too as well that uh, an article this week about central bank digital currencies because you know they're obviously the most interested in what's going on. Because they see this happening, they see the speed of adoption too. And so the central bank in the US is actually testing 12 central bank digital currencies right now. Like they're in test phase right now, seeing how it works, seeing how they work, seeing how they integrate, seeing how they sit. So this is coming quite a bit faster, I think, than, than people are willing to accept in the finance world. And I think it's just who's going to adapt, who's going to adapt the fastest. And, you know, from the looks of things in crypto land, like Dogecoin, you know, the speed at which people are interested in something new and something change, it's it's so, so fast and so quick. And the positive of this is there's hopefully lots of people in their 20s and 30s and 40s making a lot of money. And if if they are, 
it's going to be good for the economy. It's going to be good for you know all those people coming into the housing market, all those people having families, you know, and that's the core subset that's putting a lot of money in there. So I'm hopeful and optimistic that some of these things can get some traction, get some regulation, all these things that you need in order for it to be sustainable, because. You know, if just one person hops from one to the other, ultimately it's going to destroy a lot of people. They're going to lose piles of money. So I'm I'm hopeful that these things can can be sustainable, but the the speed at which things are happening right now is so fast. Yeah, I think as the younger people to get into the market, I think their time horizons are a lot shorter than what we're used to in our industry, right? This generation's need for immediate gratification and wanting to have it all right now won't allow for that 20-year that time horizon, right? Oh, let's just buy an old and we'll have our money when we retire. I think everybody wants to make their money now. So I think the, there'll be more of, and you see that by the increase of retail trading and the Robin Hoods and what whatnot and the, and the game stops, right? More and more people are seeing, and as people are having more and more success with it, right? You only you only ever see the successes. You you don't see the people that lost everything because they took these huge gambles, right? I think there's more going to be more of an appetite for this type of trading. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly there. It's coming through. And so what happens as you get into a run-up like we're presently in, you get massive complacency. So people start to think this is easy and everything's easy. And I'm starting to hear it and see it from people. And they are looking and thinking that things are easy. It's easy to make money right now. And so... The only thing that I think is natural in, in the, the market is you get ups and downs. And so in, in the crypto space, we've seen a lot of ups here, not a lot of lot of corrections recently. So that'll get a few people kicked around and maybe shaken out. And if my forecast is right on where we go in the economy and we see an economic slowdown, two of the things that don't do well in that backdrop, which we talked about just before we got on the call here is, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum don't do well in that in that slowing economic environment. So, you know, I think that it's important to think about the cycle still at the same time. But if we truly are in the network effect, which we think we think we are, we never come back to the original levels. We just pull back to a to a higher low. And when we do that, the, those are really the signals to consider adding to them again. So I know we were going to talk more about crypto. Do we want to talk uh, like overall? And we just talked about Doge. Is there anything you want more we want to talk about as far as the uh, overall crypto scene? We haven't talked about that in a few weeks, so. We thought we'd get back on the train. I miss it too. It's interesting. Yeah. So I think that obviously one of the the biggest standouts this year has been Ethereum's outperformance of Bitcoin. And so, you know, I think it's a just like anything as you learn and study and try to understand each of the different components to potentially the new digital finance world that we're heading towards. Ethereum really has stood out as, you know, I'm not sure what the right answer is for, but really the I describe it as the platform in which everything's being built and and, and sits on top of. So you get all of the the developers right now that seem to be developing their products on Ethereum. And and so Ethereum seems to be getting a lot of attention, extremely different than, than Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin's, uh, you know, in, in the crypto world is a store of value where Ethereum would be kind of the, the, the platform in which everything's being built around right now. 
And so I think it's super interesting. You know, I think this open source thinking is is so much more challenging for people to understand. But Ethereum seems to be sucking all of the the attention in the systems that are being built right now. Is, is that how you see it too? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, people are seeing, are starting to understand more and more how this whole new industry is going to play out. Right. And we're like, oh, okay, well, what are the use cases for all these things now? Right now that we, okay, we're, we bought into the 10,000 foot view. Now let's get into the nitty gritty. How do we use this thing on a day to day basis? Right. So as we understand that, I think you'll start to see more value in different things. And going back to Doge, I think, I think a few people raising like, oh, wait a second, this could be used, you know, as a way to purchase things and trade online right so as something that started out as a joke maybe could could pivot just like any business that starts out as one thing ends up with something else uh, kind of pivots to that right so i think that's what we're seeing i think the initial bitcoiners right are maybe looking at these things people that are further ahead and like oh this may be the real value like the ethereums and and some of the other coins as well yeah i think that it's still uh, still quite a ways away from people understanding how 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 money moves and how things move but you know i guess i would look at it and you know maybe i'm too narrow because i because we work in finance but you know i think this is really where that unique opportunity happens where you know people want to send point to point transfers and they want it to be instantaneous like i want to send you $1000 how do i do that well if i do it now it's a little clunky right and not guaranteed and not necessarily there's always somebody sitting in the middle of it but if these technology systems allow you to do that instantaneously 24 7 365 uh, for no cost people start to stand up and say wow this this might actually be something that that we could use and it's 100 percent secure right like still this day the blockchain has not been hacked right so and trust me i'm sure people have tried Right. So, uh, I mean, there's billions of dollars at stake with trillions now. So this is the technology I think that, that we've been waiting for, for sure. So, so anything else on crypto? I don't think so. Now, the last thing on is the continued tokenization. I'd like to have another, maybe we can have another podcast where I'm hoping we can get somebody good on that can, uh, can talk us, talk to us about kind of the tokenization of all assets. You know, we've talked a little bit about T0 and Overstock's uh, business and they, they look like they're going to sit kind of in the middle of a, a lot of different areas. And so I think tokenization is really interesting and could really change how assets are are secured, you know, could really squeeze out a lot of the middle people. So I think that that's going to be really interesting, but still early days there. Yeah, I think the thing that, you know, tokenization and NFTs and stuff like that, I think is really, you know, I was really excited about it when I first heard about it. But now that I understand it a little bit more, I'm most excited about the smart contracts, right? Like it just makes sense, right? So that means you can basically assign a contract to anything and assign any rules that you want to that thing, right? So if it's a collectible, right, and you're the originator of that thing and you want to royalties on every time it trades, you can write that into the smart contract and it'll be whether whether or not people will buy it with that attachment is something totally different, right? But and all these can be enforced 
on the blockchain, right? And just like we talked about exchanging money instantaneously, if the contract says that happens, as soon as it moves, you get your cut instantly, right? Like those types of transactions don't exist. And now they're going to, well, they do. They already exist, right? So even just understanding that much now, right? Compared to where we started six months ago, we're really kind of getting into this, you know, Again, kind of understanding how we're going to use it on a day-to-day basis makes me super excited about, you know, tokenization and NFTs and stuff like that. Because I think there's huge – that's almost an industry within itself. Yeah, so I think you're right. Uh, there is one company that's came out called Tokens.com in Canada that's, uh, that seems to be interesting that they're doing that. The, the 3IQ, Fred Pye is involved with it. I think, though, to understand that a little bit, too, most of those smart contracts will will sit in Ethereum, right? They'll sit kind of in that Ethereum, and they'll use Ethereum as the backbone to their smart contracts. Hopefully, we can continue to educate and kind of share as we learn and, and understand it better, too. And it's, you know, as I say, the speed of adoption right now is so fast that even though we spend a lot of time understanding it, along with every other aspect of, uh, of the economy and markets, hopefully we can continue to, to educate and share, share that information as we learn. Well, and it's super exciting to think about what the opportunities are going to be coming out of this. Like, if you think about, I again, I every almost every episode I compare it to the internet. Like, if you think about back where the internet, the internet first started, the opportunities that came out of the uh, that beyond just the internet, right? Like, right now we're just at the internet was invented. That's kind of blockchain, right? We're kind of at that point, but now as time goes on, all these different companies and all these different offshoots and all these different services, right? And apps and websites and all those things will come out. And those are going to be additional opportunities, right? And those are the things that you and I are going to be talking about just like trading regular companies, right? And everybody won't be so hung up on the word crypto anymore, right? It'll just be another another company on the exchange. You know, we don't know how that'll look at that time, but but there's a lot of things like when the internet came out and these websites came, companies came out that like everybody needed a website, right? But websites were like $150,000 for a website back in the day. And these companies, these companies had huge valuations. They were selling, you know, to other big companies. Yahoo was buying everything. And like, it was just crazy. And all the, like there was Netscape and you know, all those different Ask Jeeves was a big competitor to Google, right? Like all these things had real value. These are real companies with thousands of people and they had real value. We're going to see the exact same thing, type of scenario where, you know, everybody's just going to be discovered gold for the first time and they're going to be looking to grab land as quickly as possible. Yeah, so I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, I think the other thing that I'm optimistic about, and I know if you've heard Ralph speak just about kind of the future jobs, and, you know, we talk a bit about our kids and what they do and how they spend their time. At first, I thought it was super illogical that people would live in that metaverse, they'd live in that digital world. But I think you're going to have huge, you're going to have careers. I mean, we already do now, but you're going to have huge careers and sectors that people make money living in a digital world that spawns off of this i think this is what allows that to happen at scale have you ever seen the movie ready player one yes yes what i think it's probably going to look like is similar to that right is where 
you know, you come home or some people just work in that, you know, you wake up and you put your goggles on if that's what it is. Maybe it's smaller at that point, but, you know, you put your goggles on and, you know, you're navigating this digital world that you've created or your employer's created or, and then at the end of the day, you switch to whatever fantasy world that you've created, whether it be games or whatever, whatever else you're into, you know what I mean? The, the, the mind can come up with and everybody just lives there all the time. Right. And it's scary to say, but if you look at how our, you know, kids interact today outside of their planned activities that we force them into, you know, like sports and what real sports and whatnot, they live in digital worlds now, even their school. Now it's like, it's been forced on them. It's accelerated over the last year with the pandemic where the, all their schooling's online. So it's just going to be like that, but magnified, right? Cause that's, they're used to it. So they're going to be the ones that are developing all these future things for sure. I mean, that can provide actually some optimism of where there's going to be some high paying jobs and some places to make money. Yeah, I don't I certainly don't say it to be pessimistic and, and doom and gloom. That's that that's exactly my point is like that's where that's just the where the world is. It's not even like, oh, maybe one day in the future. No, it's it's there now. It just has to be realized. It's in these kids' minds. Now it's just has to be realized. It has to be manifested into something physical or digital, I guess, in that case. Wow, you're really, really going down the whole rabbit holes today. Really getting out there. Philosophy on all kinds of things. Well, let's lighten it up a little bit. I don't know if this is what's lighter for us and the rest of the world, but uh, let's finish it off with big news. Kind of sad news, but big news in the, uh, we'll call it infotainment world. Bill and Melinda Gates. Calling it quits, 27 years. Had enough. What term did you use for her earlier? She's the one of the greatest value investors of all time. 27 years. <laughs> and now she's going to get $70 billion. I think uh, a reasonable risk reward. <laughs> she, Yeah, she played the long view for sure. I'll play the other side of that and say she probably had to deal with some, some, <laughs> some personality issues with Bill. Yeah, that's unfortunate because they had a, uh, they, you know, they have their, their organization, right? Their charities there. And, you know, so I'm sure they say that that's going to keep going, but it's, yeah, I guess that was big news. And it's huge. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Obviously they say they're going to carry on. I mean, they've been a fantastic uh, organization. They, with, their focus primarily on Africa, like they've they've saved more lives than I think any other charity has in history. So they've done done amazing work. Uh, be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I know that uh, Bezos was quite concerned about where he landed on the richest people in the world chart. Be interesting to see what uh, if Bill has that same kind of thinking. But uh, you know, they certainly have a division division of assets. I wonder if his timing was, uh, you know, we're leading into summer. It's time to hit the beach and start cruising the beach, right? He wanted to be single for the summer like he was back in his college days, right? I wonder if he has that same kind of mentality. I think he's like, you think he'd be into like online dating and stuff? Maybe, maybe. Or maybe he's just going straight up digital. He'll have like a digital girlfriend. I shouldn't go into this. This is the wrong <laughs> platform for that. No, it's a wrong, it's a wrong angle. Yeah, definitely the wrong angle. 
yeah, obviously Bezos and him. Like I see, these are some some big couples that have grown huge organizations together. It's actually quite uh, quite surprising on a breakdown. But you know, I think it's this pandemic has really challenged everybody in lots of relationships under under pressure as a result of this kind of lockup. So sad to see the change, but big news. That's what we had on the sched for today. Do you have anything else you want to uh, – we're trying a new shorter version this week. So normally we would try to be at an hour. Today we were going to go 25 minutes. We're now 40 minutes. So uh, All right. pretty good. <laughs> we're going to do our best. Anyway, that's it. I forgot to mention at the start, you can find us on all the social medias if you're looking for us, Heart Investment Group. You can also find us at our website, www.heartinvestmentgroup.ca. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And if you're listening to it on Spotify, please give us a five-star review. That helps us uh, reach more people and really helps the channel and the Heart and Investment Group overall. That's it, Ben. Another one in the bag. We'll see you next week.